Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Welcome back to season two of the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. Phil, can you believe it? We're at season two. I am so excited about this. Season one just blew me away with what God did uh, in and through the through this uh, podcast, and and I can't wait to see what happens uh, in season two. I know some of the guests that we've been able to interview already, and there is so much more that I know is yet to come. But Kelly, what what one thing or a few things um, really just kind of stuck with you from season one? I'm just curious. I would say overall, one of the things that really hit me was just the good work that so many people are doing around the world that you never hear about and just how they are really making a difference in the lives of um, one person, which then makes a difference in the lives of many. And I've really... I guess one person that highlights that comes to my mind is, is just Craig Greenfield and just, man, he is in the trenches and really spending his life for the sake of the gospel and, and really just, um, making a difference and, and just the boldness of how he does that really just hit me pretty hard and made me stop and think of what am I doing in my environment to do the same types of things. What about you, Phil? Yeah, I mean, so many of the the different interviews, they all hit me in different ways. And, you know, I think that's why we really wanted to get that lineup for season one was the diversity, was the, uh, the real just kind of showing people that orphan care is more than just adopting a, a child. It's more than just foster care. It's more than just orphanages and and how to do that work but it goes into mentoring and it goes into family preservation and poverty alleviation and things that you know you and I are doing um, in our own homes and you know but the, the things that really stuck out to me happened off off the microphone off the air uh, so to speak it was we had some collaboration going on um, we had some conversations with people uh, both you and I did that that arose from these different interviews that we had uh, on on the show. And, and one a couple things in particular that, that really get me super excited were, you know, we ask for feedback from the, from the audience. We ask for feedback from, from you folks out there who are listening. And, and we got some, um, not as much as I would have liked necessarily, but the, the feedback we got just inspired and encouraged me so much. And, and a couple of the things we're able to take action on, you know, like somebody asked, hey, you know, I would love to hear Rebecca Nepp and Todd Guckenberger um, having a conversation because they seem to be so far apart in what they what they're what they're uh, advocating for and 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 I said you know what I think we can do that I think you know and and I I actually think they're probably closer than the the person uh, uh, asking the question thought um, and so I I sent an email out to Rebecca and Todd and said hey. Um, guys, would you, would you mind having a conversation? And and they said, you know, we'd love that. And so we were able to do that. And you folks out there, you're going to be able to hear that in a, in a few episodes. And, you know, another, uh, guest on the show, you know, that I was able to interview sent me a Skype and said, Hey, I'm interested in, in, I'm thinking about writing a book about my story. And, 
And I was able to say, hey, how about we collaborate on it? Um, because I, that's one of my skills is to be able to edit and, and help you be able to kind of bring that voice out a little bit more. And, and he said, you know, that, that'd be a great idea. And so, you know, we're going to hopefully work on that project together to hopefully get his story out in a way that is so powerful because it is a super powerful story. You're going to be able to hear more about that as we, as we get, you know, going down in this, in this, uh, in season two and, and just reading the books and watching the movies recommended by the guests. I hope you folks out there are taking advantage of that as well because there are so many great recommendations. Um, but it was another really cool thing was Jed Medifin talked about uh, Jesse, a, a man who's doing work in Central America. And, and it was the coolest thing because I spoke at a conference a couple weeks ago and Jesse was there. And I didn't even think about it until... I put two and two together about a week and a half after the conference and I had a conversation with Jesse. I re-listened to Jed's interview and heard him talking about Jesse and was able to really put some flesh onto what Jed was talking about and to understand more and more what he was talking about. And so those are just a few of the snippets of the cool things that have happened already. And I know so many more are going to continue happening. And I assume and I'm hoping that Everyone listening to this has similar stories about things they've heard, conversation they're having because of this show, and hopefully work that is continuing to improve and excellence that is continuing to happen because of what we're able to put out there. These these people with just great, vast amounts of wisdom sharing. And one other story real quick is, is a guy named Brandon, and he's doing work in Tanzania, and he just has been so encouraged by this show and I'm hoping to get Brandon on the show to share about uh, the work that he's able to be doing and God's doing through him in Tanzania the the leadership uh, training the leadership development the the work that they're doing with orphan and vulnerable children there so so much to come in season two and and, and Kelly I know that we have some some great new segments that we're going to be bringing um, to to our audience this to this season as well and can you just share a little bit about what those are and how we're going to hopefully be able to um, continue to inspire and equip uh, everyone out there yeah I know one thing that you and I uh, really are excited about is just this mailbag seg- segment that we're going to start and what that is is we're just going to take questions that you guys send in or questions that uh, we hear and just answer those from our perspectives from even experts in the field and we're going to be able to kind of create more of a dialogue and a, and a conversation about all these different issues another one is we're going to have these snippets from experts where they're highlighting maybe their ministry or they're highlighting something that they're doing in the field or even answering a question like I just said. You know, you and I are going to continue to share our recommendations of books and movies or podcasts that we're listening to and um, just get that out there for, for our listeners to to hopefully pick up and, and continue to learn about all these different issues. And then I'll One thing that I'm really excited about is just giving our guests an opportunity to highlight their ministries and highlight, you know, in a short segment, kind of what they're doing and how we can come alongside them and be be involved in in the work that they are doing. So, Phil, tell us a little bit about, um, of course, we have a guest today and we want to spend time listening to what our guest has to say. So why don't you highlight a little bit about your conversation that you've had? 
Yeah, I was able to uh, sit down with Josh Ship, who is a um, he was a foster kid, and as you'll hear, his story is so compelling, and he learned so much um, in his time as a foster kid um, about just about life and about himself, and he also was able to um, learn that he needs others. And he needs people to care for him. As much as he pushed against it, as much as he didn't want to need that, um, he did. And, and that's something that he shares in his interview. It's something that he shares from his heart. And what's so cool about it is one person made a huge difference in his life. And he now is able to impact so many people um, all over the country, around the world, um, because of the lessons he learned uh, as a foster youth and the lessons he learned from the people who poured into his life. And so I just can't wait to, uh, for you guys to listen to this interview. I learned a bunch from it and I was super, super encouraged by this conversation. So, you know, I, I can't, um, I can't, you know, recommend that you not only listen to this, you know, and take some serious notes throughout it, but that you apply it in, in your life, um, in ways that, uh, that I know you'll be able to. So, you know, let's get to it. I'm, I can't wait, uh, for you guys to hear everything that Josh Ship has to offer. Well, hey, Josh, it's great to have you here on the show today. Phil, how the heck are you, sir? Uh, doing real well, and I'm looking forward to this conversation that we're going to have. I know I've heard you uh, speak at the re- most recently at the CAFO Summit, but also just uh, online. And uh, I just look forward to everyone out there getting to know you a little bit here today. So with that being said, why don't you just share a bit about your story and um, how, how it has led you to the work that you're doing today with, uh, with the youth around the country? Sure. So kind of the quick version of it is that by the time I was 14 years old, I was kicked out of around a dozen different foster homes. Uh, 99% of these foster homes were truly, you know, great folks, great foster parents, all those sorts of things. I was just from a very early age, sadly, just really hardened, really oppositional, really defiant, uh, you know, because to me, what kids don't talk out, they'll act out. Mm. And I had gone through lots of challenges, I mean, from, you know, physical, emotional, sexual abuse and, you know, sort of everything in between. So at an early age, I experienced a lot of things that really set me off balance and I didn't have the capacity to sort of, you know, deal with it. So it really dealt with me and, uh, you know, sort of my, my objective anytime I entered a foster home was to get kicked out of it as quickly as possible. And, uh, you know, sadly, I had become pretty good at it. So I could sort of identify the foster parents button, you know, what would sort of set them off and just, you know, set my, my course, my compass to get that done as quickly as possible. And of course it was, it was nothing personal against those foster parents. It was nothing personal against them. It was just a tactic that I was using to try to protect myself. Mm. And, you know, I see this so, so often with folks that, that are working with, I mean, youth in general, uh, but particularly foster youth or youth that are going through challenging times is that it's it's really easy to confuse a tactic with a personal attack. You know, they're, you know, they're sort of acting out and taking out something on you that, that first of all, isn't your fault. And secondly, certainly isn't a personal attack, mm. um, you know, but it's so easy to kind of 
in those moments where they're acting out to begin to think, well, I must not be doing a good job. I must be screwing it all up. I must be ineffective. I must be saying the wrong things. I must be doing the wrong things. But really, they're just sort of working through, I mean, often they're working through the angst of something that happened five years ago when you weren't even around, that wasn't even your fault. Um, But it is now your issue. You know, I, I think about you know, the foster parents that ended up really being sort of a, a catalyst for me that really, um, you know, gave me the space to take responsibility for my life, for my actions and begin to turn things around. And simply put, the foster parents that changed my life, mm-hmm. you know, by the time I ended up in their home at 14 years old, I had a lot of baggage and I don't mean luggage, but I mean baggage. Right. So, you know, imagine this kid shows up on your doorstep at 14 the last 14 years have of his life have not been your fault um, or your doing, but but now you're met with it. Now mm. you're face to face with it. Now now it is your issue. Um, you know, and these foster parents, Rodney and Christine from Yukon, Oklahoma, truly and completely, and I'm not trying to be cheesy or or inspirational at all. I mean, they truly, genuinely changed my life. They truly, genuinely, um, you know, sort of provided that turning point for me where. Not overnight, not instantly, not Hollywood-esque, but that, you know, they really provided a space for me where I could sort of flail about, act out, and they were patient. They didn't take it personal. And then, you know, it's almost like you've probably seen some movie where like, well, I mean, I almost picture this image of like some angry kid, you know, like a five-year-old, almost like throwing punches at an adult, and an adult like has their like their hand extended and kind of on their forehead, keeping them at a safe distance. Mm -hmm. And you're just like waiting for the kid to tire out. (laughs) And and then once they tire out, you're like, okay, are you done with that now? Right. That's what these final set of foster parents did. They were at a glance, there was nothing special about them. They didn't have any unusual set of training or anything that made them sort of, you know, qualified to handle a kid like me other than they had the capacity to let me flail about, wear myself out, in the process and not take it personal. And then once I had sort of worn myself out, they they were there, they were present, and they said, all right, are you ready now? Right. Like, are you ready to accept help? Are you ready to take a look at what is your responsibility, what isn't your responsibility? Are you willing to go to counseling? Um, all those sorts of things. So, you know, that moment for me came at 17 and a half years old. I went to jail for writing a, a whole series of fraudulent checks, and uh, you know they they brought me home and 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 I assumed this was the moment that they were going to kick me out. I assumed this was sort of uh, you know this was sort of the moment that that I had been waiting for all along. At this point, I had lived with them for three and a half years and couldn't get them to kick me out. But <laughs> I assumed I assumed this was going to be it. And you know, Rodney and his wife sat me down and, and essentially said, you know, look, you can you can keep acting out and trying to get us to kick you out and flailing about and all this stuff you're doing, but but you got to get it through your thick head, son. I remember Rodney saying that. I remember him calling me son. You got to get it through your thick head, son. We don't see you as a problem. We see you as an opportunity. Mm. And it was, you know, at first... All my foster kid skepticism came to the surface. I'm like, oh, you're just trying to give me like a motivational speech after I've been bailed out of jail. Um, but I realized it, it wasn't just lip service. This guy right. really meant it. He didn't 
He saw past all my ugliness, all the flailing, all the acting out. And he, he saw a person within me that I, that, that didn't yet exist and that I didn't yet see, but he clearly saw, he clearly saw that, you know, not who I was, but, but who I could be. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did a Ted talk about it. I mean, for folks kind of interested in the more sort of polished version of the story, um, that's it. But, but looking back, I think, you know, what's that transferable lesson to any of us is really that, that resilience through a kid's acting out and not taking it personally. Mm. And it's insanely hard because be it my own children or be it, you know, a kid that I mentor named Isaiah, you know, there are days where, you know, they do something, they're acting out, there's a thing they're processing and they're dealing with. And it's just so freaking hard not to take it personally and not to think, you know, why am I bothering or, you know, I'm ineffective or, you know, this isn't working. So I think having a a safe place where you can vent those frustrations and those highs and lows that come with being a parent or a caseworker or a foster parent so that, you know, while that kid is going through the storm, you can remain steady and you can remain stable. Right now and that, yeah, that there's so many things in there that I I just want to talk about. I know we'll get to a lot of it today. As you said, you have a Ted talk on this. You also have several other things on the internet. What's the best spot for people to, to find that? Uh, those I know TED Talks obviously you can find at TED by searching your name but is, is this stuff on your website is it elsewhere yeah kind of the, the best URL to go to that's going to get you anything and everything we discussed today plus like tons of stuff more is freeteenhelp.com freeteenhelp.com okay. that's sort of a URL that I'd set up that just kind of points to the best of Okay, great. Yeah, so we'll have that on the show notes, and then um, I, I encourage everyone to go there and grab their stuff if this is if this is uh, what you're what you're really interested in hearing more about. Um, you know, as you said, you work with teens across the country. You are a foster kid yourself. You're talking about some of the things, just the patience, the, the willingness to just listen and be there, and kind of like you said, wait it out. Mm-hmm. But you know, in your experience, do you think in general, um, foster kids experience different issues and problems than non-foster kids? And if so, how should parents uh, parent foster kids differently than non-foster kids? Well, I mean to. To me, how I view it is that every kid is at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the question back in the day used to be, is my kid at risk? Now the fact is every kid is living in an at-risk culture. You know, yeah. if you think about it, whether you're a foster kid that has the most heartbreaking of a situation or whether you're a kid that has the most, quote, idyllic of a situation, mm-hmm. um, you know, that kid, particularly when they become teenagers – is, is a choice or two away from being a statistic. Right. And that, and that doesn't mean they're a bad kid, and that doesn't mean that, that you're an ineffective parent or a bad guardian or whatever. It's just the fact of the reality. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just the reality. You know, a kid could, you know, get in a car with someone that's been drinking, and, and that's one decision away from something really, really ugly, really, really terrible. A kid could sort of unintentionally, you know, uh, befriend someone who's a, who's a bad influence, but their bad influence are really subtle about it. They're really sneaky about it. It's sort of the slowly, slowly boiled frog. And, you know, and they can drift and they could, that kid could wake up three months from now and, and be like, man, my priorities are all out of whack. I'm, you know, I'm experimenting with drugs and this was not, this is not who I want to be, but I've drifted and I'm here now. And now my friend circle has changed. So 
to me, I think every, you know, every kid is, is one decision away. And so that's why as adults, it's so critical, um, that, that we, that we know what's going on, that we're constantly having these conversations and sort of the way I think about the shift from, you know, the years when a kid is a kid to the years where a kid is a teenager is, you know, when the kid is a kid, you're sort of an air traffic controller. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have high amounts of control. You, you often control when they go to bed, you control where they go, you controlling what they eat. You have high amounts of control. Um, and at that age, it is appropriate for their safety. It is, it is appropriate and it's, and it's, and it's what you need to do. The, the challenging thing is this is that you get really good at being that air traffic controller of sort of you know having high levels of control and being able to control situations but then when they become a teenager and anyone with a teenager knows this to be true even though it's sort of depressing mm-hmm. um, you no longer have those high levels of control now you do with a handful of things but frankly not many things and when you try to hold on to it you just see it backfire unintentionally on you so to me you know, at that point, the game has changed and, and so must you. So I think about transitioning from an air traffic controller to a coach. Now, mm. a coach is still in charge. Um, a coach is still highly influential. But a coach realizes that they don't have control because they're not the one playing the game, but they do have influence. And, mm. you know, to kind of break down how I think about this, it, you know, if you think about what a coach does, there's really three aspects to a coach preparing their athlete, just like for us, we want to prepare our teenagers to be able to make wise decisions when we're not there. You know, when that kid who's been drinking says, Hey, I'll give you a ride. We like, you're not there. We're not there. We need them to be prepared in that moment to be like, no dude, it's cool. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get an Uber or I'm going to call my, my folks, or Mm -hmm. I'm going to call someone or I'm going to walk or so kind of three aspects of this. Um, number one, pregame pregame. The whole idea is you need to simulate Meaning you need to simulate difficult situations that you inevitably know your kid or that kid that you care about is going to find themselves in. Um, You know, so maybe they're going, let's take something kind of benign. They're going on a field trip to uh, an amusement park for the first time on, on their own. You know, in the safety of your home, you can simulate situations that are challenging they might find themselves in. Hmm. All right, so what happens if you get lost? What happens, uh, you know, if you start feeling dehydrated? What happens if you don't have money? What happens if kind of work through that and and prepare them just like a coach prepares the athlete ahead of right. time? You know, you're, you're making hundreds of free throws uh, to the point of, frankly, being sick and tired of making free throws. But the point is so that when you're – in that game, when you're at that critical moment that you've been there before, you know right. what to do, you feel prepared. Um, so that's kind of pregame. Uh, that's how I think about it. Postgame, evaluate. That's a key word. Postgame, evaluate. So the kid goes on the field trip. All right, let's talk about what went well. Right. And, and let me kind of, um, you know, let's, let's applaud that. Let's talk about what could have gone better. Well, I didn't think through this situation and, you know, hey, like, these kids, it was weird. Like, Dad, I wanted to – there was, like, this place I wanted to eat, but all my friends wanted to go eat at this other place. And for some reason, I didn't really feel comfortable speaking up for myself. I don't know what that is. So as you're evaluating both what went well and what didn't, because there will be both, as a parent, as a as an educator, as a caring adult, as that coach, you're making mental notes to yourself 
of what needs to be further simulated. Mm. You know, so if, if like if my son comes home and kind of randomly and probably in a nonchalant way, like, oh, everyone wanted to eat like this thing and I wanted to eat this, but it was weird. I didn't feel comfortable speaking up for myself. As a, as a coach, I'm going to make a mental note of that. Because at the amusement park, the stakes are very low. Like, yeah. he, you know, they wanted to eat pizza. He, he wanted to eat a hamburger. For some reason, he didn't have the courage to speak up for himself. But, but to me, that's a bigger issue. And the stakes get right. higher. Um, you know, so I'm going to look for opportunity situations where I can give him total runway to have to speak up for himself while he's still in my home, while, you know, while I still have some sense of control. So post-game, evaluate, and then sort of during the game, all you can do is celebrate. All you can do is sort of cheer them on, mm-hmm. remind them of what you've already prepared them to do. Um, but this is a real frustrating thing about the teenage years is you can't you know, step on the court, grab the ball, and do it for them as much as we sometimes right. wish we could. Absolutely. And that's something that I've heard you also say, and it's something that my daughter actually, funny enough, said the other day to me in a car ride we were having, um, where you've said, and I agree, parents need to be both tough and tender. Mm-hmm. And I know that I just recently interviewed Andy Crouch, and he, he really has big on the two-by-two two charts, the both-and situations rather than either-or. And so many times you hear parents and saying, you know, we gotta, I, gotta, I want to just love them. I just love them. And part of that love is that tough, is that side of it that is, you know, what does that really look like? Um, Can you go into that a little bit? And in the context, and also as you're answering it, I know you've also talked to me about the Babe Ruth method when the people don't trust, because all this is great and well and good when the kid trusts the parents. Right. But in the, especially in the case of foster, a lot of foster kids, as you said, you were one of them and you had this exact issue. Um, and then a lot of the other kids who may not have families at all that we're mentoring or that we're also trying to dive into their lives. Um, when kids don't trust, how can you um, go into those situations? For sure. All right. So let's hit tough and tender first. Uh, and, and all of us by default already know kind of which thing we lean more towards. Um, you know, I lean more towards tough. My wife leans more towards tender. Uh, to, me, to me, when I when I think through that, to me, the big idea is this. Wishful thinking is not a strategy. Mm. Uh, um, so, so if you're tough, you need to have not just a hope or an aspiration for tenderness. You need to have a strategy around it. Or if you're good on the tender but not so good on the tough, meaning – you know, not being a jerk, but, you know, drawing, drawing lines in the sand, drawing boundaries and, and allowing the kid to feel the weight of those boundaries, not, not so you're mean, but for their own good. Um, because life, life won't be tender to them. You know, their boss isn't going to care. College isn't going to care. Um, a lot of life is just all tough. So, you know, for me, because I know that I've been more towards tough, like, I, you know, I have, I mean, calendar reminders to, uh, you know, say something loving, thoughtful, caring to my kids. You know, it kind of sounds embarrassing to even say like, oh, I have to hedge my bets that much. But I, but I know if I just kind of hope and think, yeah, I really need to be more kind of sweet and tender that I'll do such for a week, but eventually it'll kind of drop off and I'll, I'll, I'll go back, uh, you know, to the, to the other extreme to a certain degree. So, right. You know, it, I mean, so much of parenting is is and working with kids is just that that self-awareness. Now, to the idea of kids, you know, what if you're working with a kid? Um, what if you've adopted a kid that has 
been, you know, validly been let down, burnt, had their trust broken by adults. And so, again, understandably, mm-hmm. they're a little, little timid, a little skittish, um, you know, to put it lightly, of, of trusting adults and specifically of trusting you. So I've kind of thought through this, this method, and, and I'll explain it to you. And, it, and I think it's, it's very subtle and nuanced, but it's, I've seen it be extremely effective in countless families and, and kids that I personally work with. I, I just call it the Babe Ruth method, which is this. Apparently back in the day, the Babe, Babe Ruth, the baseball player, um, at some point in some game, like in the 20s, he picks up his bat. He's at bat. He picks up his bat. He points at the um, left field wall as if to sort of declare, hey, I'm going to hit a home run over there. And then the shocking thing is that allegedly he did it. Mm-hmm. So so there's kind of two parts to that. Number one, call your shot. And number two, follow through. And our tendency with most kids is just to follow through, right? So let's say you're working with a kid and you, and you kind of see, let's say you're a caseworker, you're working with a kid, you see the kid doesn't have school supplies that they need. Your tendency is just to kind of follow through, just to almost sort of blindside the kid and be like, hey, I noticed you didn't have any supplies. Um, we got some at the agency, bam, here you go. And you just sort of blindside them. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you know that that kid uh, is distrusting of adults, you need to kind of take that intentionally take that extra step, which is to first call your shot, Mm. which would mean say to that kid, uh, you know, Hey Phil, I noticed you don't have any school supplies. That's gotta be frustrating. I've got some at the agency. Uh, can I stop by Wednesday four o'clock after school and, and set you up with some school supplies? And Phil's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, that'd be nice. And so that is calling your shot. And then step two is following through. Now, Mm. The significance of this is is that you are you are giving that kid data, proof, real scaffolding, and beginning to reprogram their mind that there are indeed adults like you that they can trust. Mm. And you know, to me, particularly with teenagers, if you want to have influence, you must have trust. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of building this trust is not like just so you can be a Santa Claus of school supplies, right? But that so one day when you need to have that really difficult conversation, call them on the carpet, ask them that important question that could, you know, take their life in one direction or another, that they will be listening to you because you first built that trust. Right. And I I look at that like if you just show up with this stuff and you hit it on the head like the Santa Claus, that could just be this handout that he could almost further the um, issues potentially of, oh, I, I just in my handout, I'm just a charity case. Whereas exactly. if you call the shot ahead of time and say, hey, I noticed this and I will be here at this time with this stuff it does become a trust building exercise. And I think that's, that's, like you said, it's subtle and it's nuanced, but it's brilliant at the same time in that these, these kids need that assurance that people do follow through with their promises. Exactly. Yeah. And, and any kid that does not trust adults, I assure you, they could write down a minimum of 25 times someone said they were going to do something mm-hmm. and didn't. Right. I mean, 25 is probably an insanely conservative number, mm-hmm. but but they could probably retell those stories um, 
and frankly, they probably wouldn't even want to because it would trigger such emotion and such pain inside of them. So for you to begin to kind of uh, level out that balance and show that you are a bankable, trustworthy adult, uh, not perfect, but you can count on me. And when I say something, I mean it. uh, That that really, really matters to the effectiveness of, of of the things that you want to to help them accomplish and do and be absolutely you got to build that credibility before you can speak truth into them right um with that you know earlier you said every kid is one decision away from this being a statistic on the flip side of that um you usually have another um every kid statement and i, I think i know you know what i'm talking about if not oh, i'll I help you with the, it I, but i love this setup yes yeah, yeah and so i'd love for you to talk a little bit about that yeah, so this this is kind of this is the the crux of what I believe and why I do the work that I do is is I genuinely do believe that every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story, uh, and and I don't just say that because I think it's pleasant. I, I say that because I am that kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had you know a caring adult like Rodney, that you know that final foster father. I had a another caring adult like. Gary Jones, who was my big brother through Big Brothers Big Sisters. Mm-hmm. So just repeatedly in my own life, I've had, you know, these one caring adults that that weren't perfect, that certainly had their own flaws, that didn't always say or do the right thing, but they were consistent, they were present, they were there, they built that trust, um, and it's and it's truly because of them um, that I'm not dead in jail or homeless. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think every kid needs that one caring adult. And, and all of us can be that one caring adult. And and furthermore, this is not just sort of an anecdotal thing. Uh, in March 2015, Harvard's National Scientific Council on the Developing Child, they did this study, and basically sort of the, the crux of the study was, you know, hey, you know, all kids, whether they're foster kids or at-risk kids or just kind of normal kids, they all go through difficult, challenging circumstances to varying degrees. Uh, sort of the, the question of the studies was, you know, What's that, what's that common denominator? What's that difference with kids that turn out okay versus kids that don't, you know, with kids that become a statistic versus kids that become a success story? And, and, and sort of one of, their, one of their findings in it was that every child, now I'm quoting the study word for word, every child who winds up doing well has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. Hmm. So that's... That's that exact idea that every kid is one caring adult away. Right. And the encouraging thing to me is that it says, uh, you know, a committed relationship with, with one stable and supportive adult. It doesn't right. say perfect. It doesn't say, you know, um, highly qualified. It doesn't, you know, stable and committed. I think all of us uh, have that capacity uh, to, to do that for a, a kid or a handful of kids that we care about. Right. And, and I think you, you touched on it, but it's not rocket science, right? I mean, this is stuff that really anyone can do. Um, and I think you've said things like identify one kid and invest time in that one kid. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really it really does come down to investing time. Uh, you know, I think about it like this. Kids spell trust. T-I-M-E. That's mm. that's really their currency. That's really how they judge whether or not you um, will be an influence in their life. Uh, you know, you know, so for me, one of those adults was Rodney and, but the truth is all of us had a Rodney Mm -hmm. and 
and I assure you, if we asked a hundred people, like, all right, tell me about your Rodney. It's not like this Rodney just like flew into town one day, said this poetic thing, and then you never saw him again. Right. You know, it's likely because he or she was there, you know, at your activities during those hard times, like he or she invested hours into you. Um, and from time to, t- to time, uh, he or she thought that they were wasting their time, mm. you know, that you weren't appreciative, that you weren't getting it, that the lessons weren't sticking. Right. Um, but all of us have, have a, had a Rodney in our life that asked us, you know, a critical question or really called us on the carpet and challenged us and, and therefore really made us second guess maybe something we were considering doing. Uh, you know, all of us have had that and, and that Rodney has inevitably earned a position in, of trust in all of our lives because because they first went first and invested time right. in us. And that's that consistency that you, you've talked about today, and I know I've heard in a lot of your talks, but it's consistently and intentionally spending time with the kid. And you've also talked about how often they, they not only don't deserve the investment of time because they're not reciprocating a lot of times, but something that you said really hit me, and it's something that I think about even with my own children, um, there's not a lot of thank yous involved. Oh, um, sure. yeah. And, you know, why is that, do you think? Well, I mean... I mean, one of the most embarrassing things I could ever say out loud is that, you know, Rodney and his wife, who, like I already disclosed, completely changed my life, like total game changers. I, I didn't thank them until I think I was like 25 years old. Mm. And that's just, it's just like so shameful for me to look back on it and go, what the, like, what were you thinking? Right. But, man, I mean, look, all of us are teenagers at some point, and we just, even if you're like a, a, a decent kid, you, you lack perspective. Like you mm-hmm. lack getting like how much they've sacrificed, how, you know, that thing that they said a hundred times and then you only listen to at time 99 <laughs> was actually true and on point all along. Uh, and, and this is the real challenge in working with kids, particularly if you're newer to the game, meaning, all right, so, you know, Rodney, I moved out of his house at 18. I didn't thank him till 25. So there's a seven year gap. So if those numbers hold up with other kids and you've been doing this less than seven years, you might not yet have those blips on your radar of some kids circling back, coming back to you at your agency or your school or your classroom or your home and saying, listen, I know sometimes I was a jerk. I know sometimes I, you know, I put on this, this tough guy act. Like I, you know, like I wasn't listening and I didn't appreciate it, but you need to hear me clearly. You completely rocked my role. You completely changed the game for me. Mm. You know, if, if you've been in the game for less than seven years, there, there is a probability that you don't yet have those success stories to cling on to. Mm. Um, and that's a really dangerous thing because then when you inevitably have those difficult days, when that kid inevitably tells you to, you know, go F yourself mm-hmm. and that they don't care, you know, which look, that's going to happen to all of us. Yep. Um, you know, you're going to, you're just going to begin to sort of mentally panic and go, this isn't for me. It's, it's not working. I'm not working. It's not making a difference. You know, but when I think back, you know, why didn't I thank Rodney until I was 25? It had zero to do with him. It had, just like when I was acting out on him, mm-hmm. that was not his fault. Now, of course, you know, he's a human. So, you know, he did some things he would probably say, Josh, that was, that's not the way I should have handled this situation with you. But for the most part, 
you know, my acting out on him, um, my lack of being able to have that perspective and say thank you to him had zero to do with him and everything to do with my lack of maturity and my lack of perspective and, and, and subtly, um, my fear of letting him in, of trusting him even more. If you say thank you to someone, that's, that's a very vulnerable position to put yourself in mm-hmm. as a kid that's been burned in the past. So, you know, there's probably many of you that, that have, that are, that will be listening to this that have yet to kind of get that, you know, that success story, that kid circling back to you. And you just, you have to trust me in knowing that even, even when they put on a front, like, like you're not making a difference and, and like, it's not working that, that it genuinely, honestly is, they just lack the capacity and the perspective to tell you such. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, there is so much uh, more we could dive into. One thing I want to do, I want to talk real quickly about, because I think you hit it on the head with your story and just even that last answer. Um, another talk you gave, you made, you had this quote that just struck me, and I've actually told my kids it several times because I think it helps them understand um, a little bit deeper just uh, what I've been trying to tell them over the years. Um, you know, as they say, you're, you know, the prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and especially exactly. in his home, right? So um, I'm sure your kids think you're a great speaker at home. <laughs> um, no, no, not, a, <laughs> not at all. We'll just swap. That is such a, the funny thing is like, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, anyone else, it's like, yeah, my dad, yeah, he's all right. I mean, well, I'm not impressed. I wouldn't buy his book. Totally. Um, but you said it's our imperfections that make us human and our humanity that makes us influential. Mm. And that was something that I think that um, it, it just really so many of the stories in our in our lives. Um, I think that's the case. And, and I mean, do you want, do you have anything else to kind of add to that? that no, to I, help I, I appreciate you teeing that up because you know when I think about whether you're a again a parent, a teacher, a mentor, a caring adult, whatever capacity you hold in that kid's life. If you think about it, particularly as you get older, right, where, again, you're less of an air traffic controller and you're more of a coach. So you're just trying to, like, gather intelligence, help, help, um, you know, put a healthy perspective on it. Like, okay, that boy broke up with you. I promise you this is not the end of your world. Like, blah, blah, blah. If you think about it, so much of what we're trying to do is get that kid. Now, now think about this. We are trying to get that kid to talk about something they would rather not talk about. Mm. Right, like if, so I was like a, this like uh, overweight foster kid in, in middle school. And so I was just primed to get picked on. Now, if you're getting picked on for being an overweight foster kid, like the last thing I wanna do is come home and talk about that. Right. It, it, like it's, it's humiliating, it's embarrassing, I'm exhausted from it already, it's awkward, it's, psychotically vulnerable and weird. Like I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go there. So if, if kind of one of our big goals is to get kids to talk about things they'd rather not talk about, my question would be, when's the last time you've talked about things you'd rather not talk about? Because to me, vulnerability leads to vulnerability. So if you can model that, if you can sort of, um, you know, go first, ante up first, talk about, you know, and not like real safe stuff like, you know, boy, 
One time I didn't quite get a promotion, but I got a different one. So, wow, my life's real hard. You're like, yeah, shut up. You have no idea what the real world is like. But, you know, you've, we've all had situations where, you know, we say something that we just completely regret. And we were such a jerk and we were so harsh and so close-minded and so had the wrong perspective. Or, you know, we did this thing at work or um, – and and we were totally humiliated and just felt like a complete and total failure. If you can cue that stu- stuff up and sort of create an environment where it's it's healthy and appropriate and safe, right? To, to air that stuff, um, you know, I I think then you begin to create an environment where that kid feels comfortable, not all at once and not overnight. Um, but slowly begin to allow some of their own sort of inner demons and fears um, to to leak out. Because, again, if you go back to this idea of coach, you know, when when they kind of are vulnerable and share something, again, you're just making a mental note of like, all right, you know, my son is getting picked on verbally for his weight. Like, I need to, like, prepare him. Like, how to deal with this. This is not like, you know, he's getting punched. And so there's a law, there's not a law against being mean. Mm -hmm. So I need to prepare, you know, I need to do a better job of preparing him, um, to know, like, it's, it's not about what other people think of you. It's about what you think of you. It's about what God thinks of you. Uh, you know, how to diffuse those sort of immature middle school, um, verbal spars, like, right. all right, so, all right, this kid calls you fat. Like, what do you normally do? Well, I, you know, tell him to go screw himself. Well, mm-hmm. well then what happens? Well, mm-hmm. and he's yelling, and then I'm yelling, and then, and then, like, I just want to cry. Well, right. okay, all right, I could see why you'd do that. I could see why you'd say that. But what if we tried this? Hmm. What, what if you said this, and then just turned around and walked away? Now, by right. the way, he'll bait you. So, you know what? Why don't we practice that right now? So, you know, I'll be you. You be that kid. Um, you know, come at me, try to, you know, try to get me to engage. And here's what I suggest. Now you try it. Right. And again, I, I know it sounds almost, I mean, maybe at worst a burden and at best a little cheesy, but, but if you don't prepare that kid for those inevitable, difficult, um, game day situations, um, you know, they're really going to struggle. Right. And so if you, you know, all of us as parents and caring adults, we want some sense of control. We want some sense of influence. And I feel like it's, it's before those moments, um, again, that pregame where we can have a tremendous impact and influence. Hmm. Well, I know there are, um, there's a whole lot more where this came from. And I know you have a couple resources, you have a few resources out there, but the two I want you to share a little bit about, um, with the with the audience, first is the book that you have written, and I think came out a few years ago, "Teen's Guide to World Domination." So <laughs> I think it's a you know a very subtle title, um, but uh, what, what made you write the book? Write the book, and you know, is it for just troubled youth? Is it for all teens? Is it for uh, parents? What, what tell tell the audience about the book and why they sure. why you'd want to, sure. why they'd want to pick it up. Yeah, so it's for it's for any teen on the planet, and and my intent in writing that book was to write a book that was kid tested, mother approved, something that, you know, a parent could feel comfortable giving it to their kid, because it you know it's the very things you know all of us would want our kids to know about and learn about, you know how to be a good person, how to apologize when you mess up, how to strengthen the relationship with your parents, 
But I also knew that if I was going to write a book for teenagers, that I had to do it in a voice and a tone that once the book was handed over, it wasn't like, oh, this is cheesy and stupid and something my mom gave me. And so I'm never, ever going to read it, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, that title is intentional. So it's right. like, OK, you know, maybe I'll read the introduction. The introduction is, you know, has just this nice, quirky sense of humor to like draw the kid in and, mm-hmm. you know, appropriately irreverent. So it's not like oh, I'm going to, you know, talk <laughs> down to you or preach at you or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, the thing's got a, you know, 130 something four and five star reviews on Amazon. So, mm-hmm. so, so it's cool to see that, that that intent and that hope has been achieved. So to me, it's kind of like, Hey, you know, when your kid becomes a teenager, you need to, you know, as Reggie Joyner says, you need to widen that circle. You need to invite other trusted adults and voices in that agree with what you would say, but because they're not you, the kid yeah. is more likely to listen. Uh, so, so that's the intent with, with the book. And, uh, you know, again, you can find, you know, links to that, yeah. TED Talk, all the other things at, at freeteenhelp.com. Yeah, and we'll also have that link on uh, on the show notes for this episode, so um, which you can get, I think it's, it's thinkorphan.com, um, but I think uh, Josh's, the website has a whole lot more there too. So um, the other the other program, the other resource that you uh, have, and it's, it's, it's recent, I believe, that you've developed it, but it's the 52-week mentoring program. Oh, yes. Um, I think the subtitle of it is Helping Adults Understand Teens and Teens Understand Themselves. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, so I call this program A Year of Awesomeness, and kind of similar to the book, it is a, you know, it is a resource that a parent, that a teacher, that a trusted adult um, can either give to a kid or maybe you're in a situation where you're a youth pastor or you're an educator, and so maybe you, you know, have a group of 10, 20 adults. I created essentially 52 10-minute videos on different super, super practical life skills. So, you know, again, how to apologize, take ownership when you do something wrong. And and again, just like the book, it's done in that kid-tested, mother-approved way where there's just enough humor um, and, and yet still has that really solid message. It yeah. comes with um, a discussion guide for the leader. So there's sort of questions and follow up after the 10 minute video, mm. as well as activities that folks can do. So, you know, some kids are kind of cool and interested in, in, in reading and, and that's their jam. And, and for others and other venues, it's sort of more appropriate maybe, um, you know, for it to be a, a digital video and the discussion can fold out from there. And would it be something that like I'd sit down with my kids and watch it or is it something they would do on their own and then we'd talk about it later? Yeah, it's kind of however you want to do it. So when a parent purchases it, purchases it, um, you know, each of the videos are sent both to the kid and to the parent. Uh, you know, it kind of depends on sort of the status of that relationship. Right. You know, we hear some, you know, some parents and teens, they're watching it together. Some they're watching it separately. And then the parents kind of subtly knowing, all right, this week the kid is, you know, has been learning about how to choose good friends. So maybe, you know, I can kind of ask questions uh, sort of vaguely, sneakily, sort of around that topic, see what they're thinking, see how they're processing that information. So, you know, again, yeah. whatever's kind of best for your setup is is what we suggest. And I've watched a couple of those, um, and they are they're fantastic. So, good, great work on that. I uh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing, continue to see how it impacts many, many lives. So. Last couple questions for you. Uh, the first one is, what have you read or listened to in the past, past few months that has most impacted the work you're doing? Um, oh. oh, that one's easy. We were just talking about that before we recorded. Um, okay, so there's a documentary on Netflix, 
and I might be messing up the title, but you can you can do some Googling and then make sure to put it in the show notes. Yeah. But I, I'm pretty sure the title of the documentary is The Mask You Live In. The Mask You Live In. And it's essentially this really moving, stirring, genuine, earnest documentary about sort of the overly macho culture that that boys are growing up in. You know, I have a son myself. He's seven years old. And the thing I most admire about my son is that he's really sweet and kind and tenderhearted. But secretly, you know, like I, I would never even say this to him, but I'm always thinking in the back of my mind. It's also the thing like I worry most about him because mm. it's like, dude, I wish I was as kind and tenderhearted and thoughtful as you. But also in the back of my mind, I, you know, secretly – like I'm kind of ashamed of it. I'm going, that's sweet, but like you got to get rid of that because you're going to get crushed out there. Mm. And this documentary really challenged me of like, that's messed up. I mean, mm. that's messed up that that a real strength within a kid, um, you know, is something that we that we feel we have to ingrain out of them. So mm. it kind of it kind of has a real compelling argument against sort of the man up culture right. and the unintentional consequences of it. This doesn't mean, you know, kids shouldn't do hard things. This doesn't mean sure. kids shouldn't be resilient. This doesn't mean kids shouldn't push through difficult circumstances. Um, but it, it really shows you how you know, you can, you can take that too far. And, right. you know, it, it was, it made me cry. I mean, I think looking back on it in 10 years, I'll go, that was something that completely, um, changed how I view, um, my work, my relationship with my son and, uh, mm. you know, how I am as a, as a parent. Wow. Yeah. I, I too have a couple, uh, I've probably said soft sons um, <laughs> a couple yeah. of times, like you're saying. I mean, it's a similar concern. And my wife has been really good about Phil. They're tender warriors. And that's yeah. what we need to speak that truth into their heart and mind. And I think that that's kind of what you're getting at there and what it sounds like this. this oh, dude, I can't, seriously, I can't wait to hear your thoughts after you watch it. Yeah. Uh, largely because I watched it. I think like four days ago. So I still don't even quite know how to process it. Like I, I, I need someone else to watch it to kind of help me put words to what an impact it's it's had on me. Um, well, I will definitely reach out to you after I may have a chance, which hopefully in the next few days, because I'm excited to watch it. Um, last question for you. Uh, and then I know we both got to go. Um, but what person has most impacted the work you're doing in the lives of orphaned and vulnerable children? I think I know the answer, but uh, you might surprise me. All right. Well, can I say two? Is that allowed? Yeah, sure. All right. So, I mean, Rodney, number one, you know, he was he was really a game changer. He was really that sort of initial, um, you know, first half of my life. Just one caring adult that completely changed the game. And then most recently, uh, a gentleman named Reggie Joyner. Was that your guess? Uh, no, Rodney was my guess. But, okay, but right. Reggie is, does not surprise me either. Yeah, so kind of in the in the more like now I'm an adult, now I'm doing this work, now I'm trying to be a Rodney and build an army of Rodneys. Mm -hmm. um, Reggie Joyner, because man, he's he's such a nuanced, subtle leader. Like he's a guy that's real. It's real easy to meet him and not. Uh, he's understated. You know, you can kind of meet him and go, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, guys, yeah, whatever. But the way in which he architects. Um, an organization, a system, a team to do a thing 1,000x his individual capacity just completely blows my mind. Mm -hmm. His open-handedness, 
with with resources, with ideas, with strategies is really, really amazing. So he is, you know, this is like what I'm working through and kind of this is how I'm growing as a leader right now, which is particularly why he's so influential in my life right now is 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 he's really really got this um, that style of leadership on lock where it's not about you know because I guess for me growing up as a foster kid so much of my life was I've got to get my stuff together I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps mm-hmm. and so it's like all right that's done okay that's you know I'm not perfect I of course still have my issues but okay that that chapter's done now what does it look like to grow something bigger than yourself beyond yourself what does it look like to to, to trust your ideas into the hands of, of, of a team of folks so that it can reach more people. Right. Um, so that guy is just, he's really become a Rodney to me and he, and he mm. really, really means the world to me. Yeah. And I, I will tell you that, uh, it's in a couple of your talks, but I know the Ted talk, uh, has the marbles example that you, uh, have borrowed from Reggie that, uh, is very powerful and that that's, that's worth it alone. In addition to all the other great nuggets that are in that talk. So I encourage everyone to check that out. Um, thanks so much, Josh, for, uh, your time. Thanks for the wisdom that you've shared with us. And I look forward to continuing the conversation real soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks, Phil. Well, what a great start to season two. Kelly, what from what Josh said uh, really stood out to you and, and why? Well, as someone who has been in, uh, worked with students and teenagers for years and years, I think so much of what he was saying really just highlights what I have seen over the years. And that is just the need for one consistent adult. That's really all it takes um, to truly make a difference in a child's life. And, you know, having those people that come alongside you as parents um, who can also speak truth into your kids' lives. Um, so just, I love the story of um, of a family that stuck it out, of a family who didn't give up on a child um, no matter what. And I think that just highlights beautifully, um, really, the gospel, to be honest, uh, the fact that God does not give up on us um, as we run from him, um, that he continually seeks us. And so I love uh, just so much about that. And as a mom to, to two teenagers, um, it really kind of hit home again of just some of the the transitions in parenting that are that are occurring um, that aren't always easy or comfortable but are necessary uh, to be able to launch out um, really kids who know what to do in certain situations. So Phil, I know we have a new segment that we are about to highlight and why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah, we're calling this thoughts from the field, and basically, what we're what we're trying to do is just ask um, people that are doing this work around the world, whether it's here in the U.S., whether it's in other countries, um, or both, just you know, a question or two, and just to, just to be able to give their thoughts on on a subject. and And the first few that we're going to have this season came from some conversations I was able to have at the. Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit last May in Orlando. And and the first one we have today is uh, Andrew Schneidler. He he and his wife, Michelle, work up in Washington. And um, 
they're doing a lot of work with, with foster and adoptive parents and they put on the refresh conferences, which some of you may have gone to already. It's such a great, uh, conference that just really, uh, speaks and ministers to foster and adoptive parents. And, um, I was able to ask, uh, Andrew, just what is one issue, one of the biggest issues in orphan care that we're facing today and how can we address it? And so here's his answer. All right, so I'm Andrew Schneidler from Redmond, Washington. Um, I run a nonprofit law clinic called the Children's Law Center of Washington. We help uh, foster kids and uh, uh, vulnerable kids find permanence in the United States. Uh, I would say, though, the biggest um, need in the orphan care movement right today, I would say there's a gaping hole in the net that the church is casting as far as recruiting and even supporting foster and adoptive parents, and that hole is the shape of the dad's role. What role do dads play and what place do they have at the table in this conversation and I think frankly if I'm honest if we're honest the church is missing out it's predominantly um, a, a content that's targeted towards or or designed by the moms and that's valuable also but there's a huge voice that's missing um, and so I think we need to be having real talks about what does it mean to be a man in the church today what does it mean to be masculine what does it mean to lead what does it mean to be tender and, and gentle and humble and submit as well all in the context of a man um, and so I think what the church could be doing is being more intentional as far as um, addressing these issues of masculinity, issues of the heart that guys have, things that are unique and that, that guys understand. And so uh, we need more stuff for guys that is done by the guys. Well, I love that uh, little snippet from Andrew, um, that we need more things by men for men. And, and, you know, he's not just a guy who talks about it. He's a guy that does it and he's doing it. And there are a couple things that I, you really need to know about out there. Um, the first, if, if you're an adoptive or a foster foster dad, you need to know about the, the getaways that Andrew and some other folks are, are putting together. Um, the first one is uh, in October. It's actually next month. It's called Road Trip Colorado. Unfortunately for everyone out there, that one is full. Uh, it filled up super fast and the, the wait list is even filled at this point. Um, but it, it, what that shows me is there is a huge need for things like this, for foster adoptive dads, for engagement of men um, in this work, in what we're doing and to, to really be able to speak truth into these men's lives. Um, there's a couple other things I want to point out that Andrew um, is doing with, with so many other people, but, but the Refresh Conference, um, it's, it's such a, a huge need. They do it every year in March in Redmond, Washington, and that you can find out information about that March conference at the refreshconference.org. But they also um, saw such a massive need that they're doing it again in Chicago. This November will be the first one outside of Redmond, Washington, and that's November 11th and 12th. Um, and you can find that information at refreshchicago.net. So um, I just really encourage all you, you out there to take his advice and really start encouraging each other. And men out there in particular, get involved. Wives of men, um, women who have influence over men out there, talk to your men to get more involved and to really find other men to encourage each other and sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. 
Absolutely. And guys, as you can see, we really take your questions seriously and we'll be highlighting that in our mailbag segment. So send them in. Let us know what you thought about this episode, what what stirred in you, maybe some questions that you have, and hopefully we can highlight those in future episodes. So thanks for joining us on our first episode of season two. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find our show notes at thinkorphan.com and we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.